Thank you, Wesley. Thank you, team, for, for leading us this morning. And um, great to, to be with you today and to, to worship with you. Um, if you are new to LifePoint, so glad that you're here. Hopefully you feel welcome and um, that you just have a, a great morning with us. If you are new, um, my name is Corey. I serve as the teaching pastor here at our Plain City campus, and um, I want to let you know, um, if, you, if you've never accessed the message notes or been able to keep up with the, uh, events, I uh, want to invite you to, to go to lpguest.com, that's lpguest.com in the web browser of, of your phone, that will take you to message notes today, it will take you to a digital guest card that takes less than 60 seconds to fill out, but it'll also get you to <clears throat> some of uh, our events and, and, and some helpful resources. Uh, for you. You could also scan that QR code on the back of the chair in front of you uh, with your phone to get there a, a little bit quicker if you need to. Um, we are in the second week of our series called Wide Open World. And in this series, we are focusing on how God has invited us, his church, right, to, to be on mission to, to reach the world. In doing so, we, we've talked about how it's not so much us going out and doing a bunch of stuff and asking God to join us as it is about opening our eyes and, and seeing where God is working, figuring out where God's activity and his mission is, and then joining him. And so this matters for us because one of the last things Jesus said to his disciples was in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, the Great Commission. Jesus said, Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, right? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And he says, Behold, I'm with you always, even till the end of, of age. And Jesus, in, in giving this mission, right, he gives it without ever mentioning the ability of those following him. He gives this mission when there was arguably maybe one local church in the entire world. He gives this mission when there were no missionary facilities, there were no um, just um, Bible colleges, there were no seminaries when, God, when Jesus gives this great commission, He's simply looking at his 11 disciples along with maybe a 120 followers that have minimal resources, minimal finances, and minimal influence. And he says, hey, I just want you to go and I want you to make disciples. And Jesus says, oh, by the way, in case you don't know what that means, I want you to do that everywhere. I want you to do that with every ethnicity, every people group, every tribe, every culture, every neighbor. And he says, I want you to start here in your community, and I don't want you to stop until all have heard. Right? That's a huge mission, isn't it? Almost impossible for them to accomplish on their own. It is impossible for them to accomplish on their own, in their own ability. But it was it is able to be done based on God's ability, which is why our, our big idea for this series is we say yes because God is faithful, not because we are able, right? And in getting ready for today, I kind of had a, a flashback from when I was a kid. When I was a kid, um, for a while, we had a, a playroom where we could kind of hang out and do all that, that fun stuff. And as I got a little bit bit older, um, 
my dad wasn't too happy with my buddies and I kind of like big time wrestling in the playroom. He was like, that's it, you're done. Kicked us out of the playroom, right? He's like, you can go in the basement. And he's like, it's concrete floor, cinder block. He's like, I could care less. Crack your head open down there, right? But just don't ruin my upstairs. So we wind up using the basement as kind of our, our play area. And I remember the day that we got pretty out of control. My dad walks down the steps and he's like, hey, that's it, enough, right? And I look back at him and go, what do you care? You said we could crack our head open down here, right? Let me just tell you the rest of that conversation didn't go too hot for, for, for me, right? But what I remember is as a kid, um, the basement was pretty cool until you had to pack up and be done because we had all these lights in the basement and each light was on a pole chain. And so when you were done in the basement, you would start at the furthest corner, first pole chain, a little bit of darkness, if I'm honest, for me, a little bit of fear creeps in. Second pole chain, darkness comes this way. A little bit of more fear creeps in, right? And this would happen as you move to each pole chain and the lights kind of went off one by one. It got darker and darker until you get to that last pole chain. And what would I do? I'd pull that pole chain and I would sprint up the steps as fast as I could. Fear would sweep over me. I'd skip three steps at a time to get upstairs. Fine. Oh, daylight. I'm safe, right? Like that's how it was when I was a kid. I'm a smidge better now as, as an adult. But here's what this reminded me of. Fear is powerful, right? Fear causes us to do things we wouldn't normally do. Fear also causes us not to do certain things that we can do. And today, we're going to head back to the Old Testament, and in doing so, we're going to look at two people, Deborah and Barak, and, and the nation of Israel, right? And God called them, like Wesley said, to put their yes on the, on the table, but he was asking them to do it during a time when fear had swept over the land, when fear had swept over God's people, Israel. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope you do, or you got your Bible app, I want to invite you to find Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4, way back in the Old Testament near the beginning of your Bible. Go ahead and use your table of contents if you need to, need to but Judges chapter 4. As you're making your way there, let me, let me tell you where we're, we're going this morning. I want to give us a little bit of context for what we're about to read. Then I want to walk through this account of Deborah and Barak. In doing so, I kind of want to pit stop along the way and just make some observations for us. But then I want to wrap up today with just one application point. And as we wrap up today, um, we've got some folks that have put their yes on the table today to move forward in, in baptism. That they want to follow the command and the obedience of, of Jesus. And so we're going to close out today celebrating baptism in several people's lives. And so we got a lot to get to. we got an action-packed morning, so ready or not, here we go, okay? We open the book of Judges, and as we open up the book of Judges, here's the context for where we're at, the rebellious generation of Israel that, that fled Egypt had all died <clears throat> in the wilderness, a new generation is now traveling with Moses, and Moses teaches this new generation what it means to follow the Lord. And everything appeared to be on track and in place for Israel to enter into the, the promised land. But Judges chapter 2 kind of gives us a bleak picture of what happened with this new generation. Judges chapter 2, verse 11, it says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And they served the Baals 
And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them. And they bowed down to them. And it says, this provoked the Lord to anger. Now, God at this point had proved his love. He had proved, God had proved his faithfulness throughout Israel's history time and time again. But his goodness, his provision, his care had now faded from the hearts and minds of his people. And because of their disobedience of doing evil in his sight, the Lord is going to discipline those he loves, Israel, through the hands of the Canaanites. And this is where we pick things up in Judges chapter 4 today. Verse 1 says this, The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. Ehud was a, a judge For the people of Israel and under Ehud, Israel had 80 years of rest and peace, the longest period of rest and peace in the entire book of Judges. As we see in verse 1 here, Ehud has has now died and the people have done evil in the Lord's sight yet again. Verse 2 says, the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera. Verse 3 says, the people of Israel Israel, cried out to God, the Lord, for help. For he, that being Sisera, had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. So God raises up Jabin and Sisera to discipline his people. And Sisera's got this massive army, and he's got 900 iron chariots. And if we were to fast forward to chapter 5... It lets us know that under the oppression of Sisera, things are so bad that people avoided going on the main roads. They took all the back winding pathways, as it said, just to avoid getting caught by somebody from Sisera's army. What's interesting here, it says, after 20 years of oppression and bondage, the people of Israel go, oh, we've got a good idea. Maybe now, after 20 years, we should ask God for some help. Took 20 years. Some observations for us really quickly here. In, in seeing Sisera and Jabin, it's a great reminder that God can and will use anything to get our attention to keep us in line with his will. Another observation from here is that, that God loved Israel too much to let them go their own way. And the same is for us today that God loves us too much to let us go our own way many times. And that there may be times we wish God would just leave us alone, yet ultimately we should be thankful for how he continues to deal with us, even if it's uncomfortable. But maybe the biggest observation as we begin in chapter 4 here is remembering that, that Israel had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And it takes them 20 years before they finally call out to God. But do you notice that when Israel calls out to God, they, they don't call out In repentance, they don't call out and ask for forgiveness of their sins. Rather, they just say, hey, God, just fix our circumstances, please. Warren Wearsby, um, in his commentary, uh, has a note on this text that I think is relevant for us. He says this. He says, to ask God for comfort and not cleansing is only to sow seeds of selfishness that will only produce another bitter harvest. I think what we learn here in these opening verses, and we put it in our notes for today, it's that may our cry to God be in repentance first 
and relief second. Right? Many times we're like, fix my circumstances. And God's like, I want you to repent of your sins first. It reminds me of, of 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, where God says to his people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and they pray and they seek my face and they turn or repent from their wicked ways, then, then I will hear them from heaven and then I will forgive their sin and then I will heal their land. I will take care of their circumstances. Reminds me of Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. God is looking for repentance first. But we get to see God's great mercy here with the, with the people of Israel. Israel cries out. In verse 4, we see that Deborah, a prophetess, shows up on the, on the scene. Verse 4, now Deborah, a prophetess, was judging Israel at the time. Verse 5 says she used to sit under the palm of Deborah and the people of Israel would, would come to her for judgment. Deborah's got this dual role from God at the time as, as a judge and a prophetess. A judge was the name given to those presiding over the affairs of Israel. A prophetess is a, a female title for a prophet or a spokesperson of God. What we see here in, in these verses as Israel cries out to God that God does not raise up a great warrior. He does not raise up a powerful politician. He does not raise up some kind of uh, celebrity or influencer. He chooses a woman. In the text here, it says a wife to be the deliverer of his people. And I think this is significant to see because the Jewish culture was a male-dominated culture. Only male, mature male leadership was, was accepted by the people at this time. So for the people of Israel, looking to a woman for help would have been the last place they would have went to. And so in using Deborah, we see a couple of things that God does. For, for Israel at this time, God is humbling his people, saying, hey, I will use what I want to use. I will use who I want to use. My ways are higher than yours. On a bigger scale... I think this is another example that, that the Bible and that Christianity and that God places a high value on women. And on a bigger scale than that, in using Deborah, God was teaching the value to everyone that, hey, I can use anyone for my mission I can use anyone, male, female, young, old, doesn't matter what race, doesn't matter what ethnicity. Hey, if you put your yes on the table, I will use you. A, a pastor of mine used to say, say this. He says, there's no little people and there's no little places when it comes to God's economy. And I think we, we see that here, that God is looking for our yes. Verse 6 continues. And it says, she, Deborah, sent and summoned Barak. And she said to him, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Deborah here calls Barak. Barak is a, a military leader. Deborah says in verse 6, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded? This lets us know that even though Israel, not asking for repentance, God says, hey, I hear you. I'm still going to respond to your cry. I'm still going to show up. Continuing in verse 6, Deborah tells Barak exactly what God had to say, which was, go, gather your men 
from Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and with his troops. And I will give him into your hand. So at the Lord's prompting, Deborah calls out to Barak. He calls out to the, says, and says, assemble this army of Israelites. Come together. Why? Because God has said he's going to give you victory over Sisera. He's going to give you victory over the Canaanite army. He's going to give you victory over those 900 iron chariots. Now, I read this and I realize this is really hard for us to grasp today. We just kind of go, oh, 900 chariots. Isn't that cute, right? But in doing some research, modern military leaders said this, those 900 iron chariots are the equivalent of today having an entire fleet or group of armed, fully functioning aircraft carriers. That's how big of a deal this was, right? That means they had financial backing and and troops that were honed in and, and trained to do this. And, and if that's not bad enough, this insurmountable enemy that stands before Barak and the people of Israel in chapter 5, it tells us that the situation's even more bleak. For Israel, what do they have to muster? What military supplies do they have? It says amongst 40,000 Israelites, they could hardly muster a single spear or, or shield. So humanly speaking, Israel going up against Sisera and, and his army was impossible that on their best day, Israel was outmanned, they were outmatched, they were outgunned, they were just out of their league. Some observations for us to take note of here. Notice that although Deborah requested Barak's assistance, she did not draw her confidence from him. Ultimately, her confidence and her strength came from the Lord and his word. Right? Remember what she said? Has not the Lord where her confidence was commanded in his word. Her confidence and strength didn't rest in, well, you know, Israel's got a great tactical advantage. They've got a great military. They've got a great skill set. She was simply saying, hey, because God has told us we can do this, then this is what we should do. And, And here's what we see in God's word time and time again. It's this. It said, God's commandments are God's enablements. God's commandments are God's enablements. In other words, God will will always help us to fulfill what he has called us to do. Verse 8 continues, and it says, Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go, I will not go. And she said, Surely I will go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you're going will not lead to your glory. The Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Now, there, there's debate from scholars over this, right? That, that why did Barak ask Deborah to go? And why did she say, I will go? But then why did she say, you will not get, get the glory? Some speculate that, that it was wise for Barak to ask Deborah to come with him. That was the, the, the prophetess at the time. That was the judge. Others say he didn't need to ask her. The fact that he demanded for her to come, some scholars say that he trusted more in Deborah's presence rather than the presence of God. Some say that he trusted in her relationship with God more than he trusted in, in his relationship with God. But regardless, 
We can let those folks argue and debate that. Here's what the scriptures do tell us and what we do know. That, that because of asking Deborah, she tells him, hey, Barak, you're not going to get the credit for the downfall of Sisera. Someone else will. A woman will. Now, here's what's also neat. If we open up to the book of Hebrews and look at the heroes of faith, Barak's name is listed there. Pretty interesting. And I'll summarize this just for a little bit for us. In verse 10, Barak puts his yes on the table. He goes and calls out Sisera's army. In verse 13, Sisera's army gathers. His 900 chariots gather. And in verse 14, it is go time. And Deborah says in verse 14 of chapter 4, she said to Barak, she said, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with the 10,000 men following him. I, I love this here. There's, there's three things that I think are important for us to see right here. The first thing is Deborah gives a strong command to Barak. She says, hey, here's what God's telling you. God says, up and go. Now is the time. That word up means to advance, to move forward. Then, then after this strong command, she delivers a, a strong encouragement to Barak and says, hey, the Lord goes before you, and the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. In other words, she's saying, Barak, just give God your yes and go, and watch God ultimately do the work. Watch him move, right? She's saying, because God is with you and goes before you, she's saying, hey, you need not fear. Israel need not fear. And so there's such great faith in Barak in leading that army down the mountain because that mountain was their only tactical advantage. That mountain had them up here and the chariots down here. They couldn't get to them. But, but they charged down that mountain, engaging Sisera and his, his horses and his chariots. And verse 15 tells us this. It says, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and it says he fled away on foot. Notice here it says the Lord routed. We go back and if we, we look at the root of that word routed and what it means, and I think this is so cool, the word routed means to make a noise, to throw into confusion, and to confound. Right. So what we see here, right, in, we talk about God using us but then God ultimately doing the work. God uses Sisera and he uses the, or I'm sorry, he uses Barak and he uses the Israelite army and it says they somehow find some swords to battle and, and so he uses the people to win this battle. But as we go to chapter five, if we were to look forward to chapter five, something else happens. In chapter five, we learn that God himself shows up in a mighty way. In chapter 5, these won't be on the screen, but in chapter 5 and verse 4, it says, The heavens and the clouds dropped water, the mountains quaked, and it said there was a torrent, which is a rush of violent water. Interesting to read. Here's what happened. The Lord caused an unseasonable rainstorm to come. It made the dry ground that the mighty iron chariots were on turn into a complete mud pit. And the storm was so overwhelming and violent it overflowed the banks of the river Kishon where they were at and a mighty 
torrent came, sending a rush of violent water sweeping over Sisera and the army. And this routed, it confused, it confounded, it panicked Sisera's army. And it brought their, their tactical van advantage, those mighty chariots, to a screeching halt and made them sitting ducks stuck in the mud so Israel could win this victory, causing the impossible, like we sang about just a little while ago, to be possible. The story ends like this, if I can summarize it for us. Sisera, as we read, just flees the battlefield. He takes refuge in a neighboring city. He hides, winds up hiding in the tent of a woman named Jael. Jael tells Sisera, hey, why don't you just hide underneath this rug? Sisera, fatigued from the battle, lays down underneath the rug and falls asleep. Jael... While Sisera's asleep, goes and takes a tent peg and drives it through his temple into the ground. Y'all, you got to read your Bible, okay? It's in there. I'm telling you, it's action-packed. It's amazing, right? And here's what happens. Jael gets credit for the fall and the victory over Sisera, not Barak, just like Deborah had said fascinating account in the book of, of Judges this morning. But what does this story have to do with us? What does it teach us about saying yes to God because he is able? I think the one application we can take from the story of Deborah and, and Brock today is, is this, that when God goes before us, what have we to fear? That when God goes before us, what have we to fear? Because let's just be honest, fear may be that number one thing that holds us back from engaging in the mission Jesus has left us with. Fear may be the number one thing that, that keeps our yes in our hands and, and not on the table. Right? For, for Deborah and Barak, the, the mission was humanly impossible. Fear was, had already swept over the land and fear was at the ready for, for, for Barak and the Israelites to, to be intimidated by the short weapon supply, Sisera's army, the tactical disadvantage, you name it. And it's the same for, for us today, that the mission Jesus has left us with is humanly impossible. And many times, if you're like me, I'd just be transparent with you, fear sweeps over me when it comes to reaching out to that neighbor or speaking up for Jesus or, or sharing the gospel or being unashamed, right? A very real fear at times of, of what happens if they push back when I, when I step forward. What happens if I say yes to God and they yell at me? What happens if I'm, I'm not accepted? What if I fail? What if I don't know the answer and they ask me a question and I just look like an idiot? What if, what if I pray and my prayer just sounds weird? What if it's just too hard? What if it just hurts too much? Listen, I, I want to let you know I am just as fearful as you are at times in these moments. I can remember years ago the first time I went on a mission trip across seas of getting on that plane, leaving my wife leaving little kids behind, going across the world and saying, you know what, I'll just go try to hang out with some teenagers and tell them about Jesus and they don't speak our language, right? Praise God, leaving that trip, we began to see many come to know Christ. 
But I also want to tell you, like, like Wesley said, it's not just about missions overseas. It's about missions right here in, in, in our backyard. Just as fearful as getting on that plane for me was several months ago, picking up my phone, calling a member of my family who is seriously ill, and, and sharing with them about Jesus and telling them the gospel. I was petrified to be that bold. And I asked them to put their faith in Jesus. And they said, no, thank you. It was just as fearful. But here's what I've learned. Fear is always there to try and paralyze us. I read this week and I love it. It says, it's easier for God to use our worst attempt at sharing the gospel, at talking about Jesus, at being unashamed for him, than no attempt at all. Let me say that again. It's easier for God to use our worst attempt in serving and following him and giving him our yes than not attempting anything at all. That when we step forward out in faith, there is always going to be fear, but it's in that moment we see God move. And I think there's a connection between what we saw with Deborah telling Barak and what Jesus tells us. Remember, Deborah gave a strong command and a strong encouragement. She said, up. She said, up, which means go. In Matthew 28, those verses we looked at the very beginning, what does Jesus tell us? He says, go. Deborah says, hey, I'm going to give you strong encouragement. He, she says, God goes before you. God is with you. What does Jesus say to us in the Great Commission in Matthew 28? He gives us strong encouragement. He says, behold, I am with you always to the end of age. Here's the challenge, and here's where I believe it, we're at today. For us, for the church, the big C church for Christ followers, I think it's time for us to have confidence in the Lord and the Lord alone. I think it's time for us to have confidence in his word above all else. And I think it's time for us to know that when God goes before us, what have we to fear? That God will always help us to fulfill what he's called us to do. I'm reminded of what, what he says in, in Numbers chapter 23. Has God ever spoken and failed to act? The answer is no, he hasn't. Has he ever promised and not carried through? The answer is no, he hasn't. Here's where we're at. It is time for all of us to run down the mountain. It is time for us to get up and go to advance and to move forward in faith. To give God our yes, knowing that he has gone before us. That our strength is in the Lord and the power of his might. That the battle has already been won at the cross and the empty grave. That we are no longer slaves to fear. And that we don't march to victory, we march from victory. Which means it's settled in heaven. That God has already won. Therefore, we say yes because God is able. And when we do, we see God work, we see God move, and we see God accomplish only what he can. We see him show up and fulfill his commandments and his promise to us when we put our yes on the table. Let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, what a great privilege 
that you've asked us to join in your mission. And Lord, that great privilege, at times I know, seems impossible. But with you, all things are possible. Lord, so I pray for us today that we would put our yes on the table. God, I pray for us today that even though fear will come, we will step forward in faith. And in doing so, Lord, we would run down the mountain, that we would get up and we would go. And in that process, we would see you do what only you can do. We would see you work. We would see you move, that we would see victory. And Lord, I, I, today I, I pray I pray for, for anyone. I pray for anyone who's sitting here today and saying, I don't know if God's in my corner because I don't know if I've ever chosen to follow him. If that's you today, if you want to run down that mountain and know that God has gone before you, it starts with another step of faith by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone as the Savior, the one who can forgive you of your sins and believing with all of your heart that he came, he died, and he rose again. And if that's you today, you can take that step of faith right where you're at, right now, in this moment, just telling Jesus, Jesus, I believe. I believe in who you are. I believe that you came. I believe that you took took my sin and shame on the cross and I believe you rose from the grave and, and Jesus, I want you to come into my life because I want to follow you. I want to jump into this mission. Today, I'm, today, Jesus, I'm just giving you my yes right here, right now, where I'm at the best as I can. But I'm admitting and asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.